So I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about meekness. We're going to talk about a kingdom vision of not taking yourself too, too seriously. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've been in a series called Kingdom Vision, Seeing Through God's Eyes. And it's a series looking at a famous list called the Beatitudes. Can y'all say Beatitudes? I love saying that word. That word beatitude is taken from the Latin word meaning blessed. This is a list of blesseds. Blessed, 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 says Jesus. Of all the people you would have never in a million years expected. If you could have formed a list of the world's first and foremost VIPs, I promise you that list would look different from the list Jesus gives us. So here's Jesus calling the last picked on the team to be his closest followers and apprentices in a world before cover letters and resumes. He picks the people that wouldn't even know how to type and he touches them, heals them, announces that they are actually flourishing within reach of God's reign right where they are, despite the world's evidence to the contrary. He calls them blessed when the world calls them cursed. That's what we're going to talk about. Hope you're there with me in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole list of those Beatitudes, and it'll be on the screen or in that Bible in front of you. Let's look at the words of Jesus as recorded by Matthew. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. That's what teachers did back then. His disciples came to him. They got the front row seats. And then he began to teach them. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." This is the word of God for the people of God. And in our church, we say, thanks be to God. Well, it's so good to be with you all, to be God's people together here at the Neighborhood Church, following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. We've been talking about the Beatitudes, and you need to understand this. If you are to understand Jesus' vision of an upside-down kingdom, the people that are the last on the list He spins around and says, no, actually, you're so close to God, even when you didn't realize it. But we might be tempted to read this list and say, well, I want to be blessed. I want to be comforted. I want to inherit the earth. But I need to remind you, as I have every week, that these beatitudes are not prescriptive. They are descriptive. That's a fancy way of saying Don't expect to take four Beatitudes and just be a little sadder, be a little more spiritually bankrupt or poor in spirit, be a little more humble and gentle, and put that into the cosmic vending machine 
and expect to get from God. That would be a gospel of attitudes, being in this attitude in order to get God to give you something in return. Rather, they are not prescriptive, take four of these and you'll get heaven in the morning. They are descriptive. A way of saying that again is the Beatitudes are not about commanding behavior, be sad, be meek, be persecuted. They are, in fact, casting a kingdom vision that's upside down from the world's vision and values. It's describing the kinds of people the world says are cursed and saying, in fact, surprise, here's some good news for all you people living in the midst of bad news. You who have gathered around me, who've left everything to come and follow me and to cling to me, this is good news. It's a way of saying to the meek, the spat upon, the looked down upon, it's not about climbing the ladder, it's about clinging to Jesus. You with me? So tonight's beatitude is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. But I heard this beatitude in an old folk song written by Simon and Garfunkel. But Paul Simon wrote all the music for Simon and Garfunkel, right? Do we have any Simon and Garfunkel fans in the house? Does anybody just like to say Garfunkel and wonder how he made it through at middle school? Anybody? I'm not a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan. Paul Simon's got some pretty killer solo work later on. But I came across this song from probably their most famous album, Sounds of Silence. Y'all have heard that song. Hello, darkness, my old friend, right? Well, they've got a pretty killer song on that record. And it gets at what I was just trying to communicate. It gets a vision that says all of these left out folks are the ones that God is actually really keen on. They say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. That sounds familiar. Blessed is the lamb whose blood flows. Whoa, now we're on to something. Blessed are the sat upon, spat upon, ratted on. Now, if that doesn't sound like 1960s New York folk scene, I don't know what does. Pastor Kathy referenced people walking around going, peace, in the 60s. This sounds pretty radical and wonderful. Here's all the last picked being elevated and blessed and flourishing. Some of us might say, right on, dude, this is excellent. But do you see that last line up on the screen? You see, that sounds all well and good until, guess what? You're one of them. Until you're the sat upon, the spat upon, or the ratted on. So then they finish that stanza by saying, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me. This is why we need a kingdom vision. Have you been there? I remember when I started out in ministry, I was working with young adults, 20s, 30s, 40s. Then I started working with some homeless folks, some drug addicts, and I routinely felt too young, too inexperienced, too not gifted enough And I was continually trying to prove myself. How many of you have felt you're too young that nobody's really listening? How many of you are on the other end of the spectrum? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But now you feel too old. You feel like your best years are behind you. You're unimportant. Nobody's really listening. I think there's some of us in this room that are unemployed or maybe we're underemployed. 
And when we post our Instagram or our Facebook posts, we're trying to project our value even though we're trying to believe we're more than what we do, but the world continually just slots us in who we know, how we're moving, how we're grooving, how we're climbing up the ladder. It all sounds well and good when Jesus says, blessed, but I don't have the vision to see it. So I begin to ask, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Even though Jesus is saying, actually, even when you're sat upon, spat upon, looked down upon, you are in fact squarely within reach of God's blessing. And you are securely within God's kingdom. This is why we need to let Jesus expand our vision of who is blessed despite the world's evidence to the contrary. I want you to be reminded tonight that it's okay to be meek. That it's okay to be shy and unimportant and left out of the movers and groovers and shakers of the world. Because this is where Jesus finds himself. I want you to have a vision of meeting our neighbors like we will and have at the neighborhood table who aren't listened to. And perhaps they're unimportant, unemployed, underemployed. They're de-churched, unchurched. They look different. They talk different. And no one has given them an ear. I want us with kingdom vision to see in them someone who is right within God's reach and blessed. I want us to see these people the way Christ sees them. And would I dare say to even see Christ in them. Because it's the meek that is the kingdom description of quietly, gently, and humbly transforming the world. So tonight, like I said, we're talking about blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That sounds wonderful until you're the meek. So I think what we need is a kingdom vision of meekness. How, how, many, how many of you said the word meek this week? Oh, that rhymes. Who said meek this week? Not a one of you. Sorry, Jack. Not a one of us have said meek. I don't think of meekness. So it's going to help that we have a kingdom vision of meekness because I'm not sure we talk about it too much. But then we need a kingdom vision of inheritance. What exactly is Jesus going on about? You with me? Let's spend the next few minutes talking about a kingdom vision of meekness. The first thing you need to understand is this. Meekness is not weakness. Man, I'm rhyming so much tonight. (laughs) Meekness is not about weakness. In fact, meekness is the intersection of humility and gentleness. And then you say, well, that's just some thesaurus words of weakness. No, meekness, that word, is actually used of by Jesus to describe himself. Another time that Jesus is calling all the misfit people and telling them that the kingdom of God is right there for them, he says, come to me. You who've been climbing the ladder, come to me. You who've been trying to get a leg up, come and walk with me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Hang on to that word burdened, and I will give you rest. This is good news for the religious folk trying to do all the right things. Where the religions say, do this like the cosmic vending machine to receive God's blessing, the good news 
is that when you couldn't get to God, God came to us. But he says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. You see that word highlighted there? That's the same word in our text of the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. So before we think that meekness is weakness, Jesus himself says, for I am meek. That should give us pause. And to further elaborate what he means, he says, and I'm humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, some of you are familiar with farming, even though you may be like me and never been on a farm. You've seen the pictures, you've seen the videos of the old guys plowing the fields before their John Deere's. Some people think that that word yoke is a word for teaching and their way of life, and there's some support for that. But really what Jesus, I think, is mainly, chiefly talking about is to come up under the kind of yoke you would see on a farm that links two donkeys or two oxen together. So here you've got Jesus basically saying, I'm meek and I'm like a farm animal. Come and shoulder up my wooden yoke and let's go plow a field together. This doesn't sound like a wonderful endorsement of a kingdom revolution or a king. But what Jesus is saying, you have felt the burden and the weight of the wooden yokes that tell you be good enough, do better, earn more, and it's crushing your soul. And more than crushing you, it's burning you up and out so much so that you are in desperate need of a rest. So take my yoke, shoulder up under this yoke next to me, and let's walk this thing together. Keep company with me, and they find that it looks nothing like the oppressive yoke of the religious people that point their fingers and keep adding more and more rules. When Jesus says, I am meek, I am gentle, I am humble, you need to understand he looks a lot less like some of the preachers that want to drop a lot of names and drop a lot of books and get a lot of followers and get a lot of likes and get the cool clothes and the cool following. He looks really decidedly meek, not proud. He looks really decidedly gentle, and calling us up to walk with him and not somebody who's calling out and pointing the finger. This is a revolution in religion because it's less about a religion and more about a relationship with a gentle and humble king that is nothing like they've ever seen. So we need to understand that meekness is not weakness. In fact, it's the intersection of humility and gentleness. It looks like someone who will walk with you even when you feel you can't earn it or you're unimportant. And when you start to walk with somebody like that, I think you begin to have a true view of yourself that names it, I can never do perfectly. I can never go out and earn it. I can't make these people love me. I can't make these people like me. So at some point, a meek person just basically says, I am what I am. I don't consider myself better than others. I don't consider myself someone to jockey for position. 
and put others down. It's a true view of self that leads to a respect and a gentleness toward others. It's looking at someone and saying, I'm not sure you're any better than me just by virtue of who you are. It's a humble heart revealed in a gentle hand. If it looks like Jesus, if Jesus uses this word of himself, it looks like a humble heart revealed in a gentle hand. When I was thinking of meekness, and I was thinking of this intersection of gentleness and humility, I was trying to put a more recent face to this. And so 50 years ago, in 1969, it seems like everything happened in 1969. We had Woodstock. We're talking about the moon landing. We just had the uh, anniversary of this. We were having assassinations. We were having uh, Vietnam. All of this turmoil into all of this insanity, all of this craziness. Good thing the world is not insane and crazy anymore. <clears throat> into all of this racism. Good thing the world is not racist any. Oh, uh, in 1969, 50 years ago, into the noise and all the chaos, a little show on PBS had been on the air for about a year. It's called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers has had a resurgence, probably because of that excellent documentary that came out last year called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Have you seen this documentary? Dude, is it not amazing? It's powerful. Go see it. They're going to make another movie with Tom Hanks. I'm not sure I believe Tom Hanks is Mr. Rogers yet, but I've only seen one trailer. He's trying. You know, Tom Hanks is trying, you know. Let's just be meek about it. Here's the thing. So, Mr. Rogers is having a comeback, and a lot of his stories are starting to kind of make the rounds again. So right here in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of an era in which we're still struggling to integrate blacks and whites, still only five years removed from people not only doing sit-ins, they're doing swim-ins. What that looks like is going to hotel pools and having African Americans and white activists jumping in together and swimming as a show of solidarity. Five years before this picture is taken, at one of these swim-ins, one of the angry hotel managers runs back to the supply room, grabs cleaning chemicals and acid, and begins to pour it in the pool as the mixed bathers of blacks and whites are swimming and screaming for the middle to get out of here. They're living in this insane, crazy time, and in walks the meek Mr. Rogers. Now, what I remember about Mr. Rogers and maybe what you remember about Mr. Rogers is his iconic opening sequence. You know what I'm saying? He comes into the door. He's singing his song. He takes off his jacket. Then he puts on what? His sweater, his cardigan. He zips it up. He sits down. He takes off his what? His dress shoes to put on other shoes. This is enormous. Like usually when I get home, it's like just, just, and just leave it all over the house. But he does something different in this episode. He was. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And he was actually ordained to be an evangelist using the mass media. So he's using his platform to reflect kingdom values of kindness, meekness, gentleness, and these kinds of things. 
So instead of his iconic opening, he actually walks back outside. He's got his little flip-flops on, which is kind of hilarious to see Mr. Rogers in flip-flops. And he says, you know, it's really hot outside. So he sits down on a stool and he puts his feet into this kiddie pool. And he says, you know, on a hot day, I like to really cool off. And this feels really wonderful. And then in walks Mr. Officer Clemens. Francois Clemens is the guy that played Mr. Officer Clemens. And he, would you believe, was the first recurring character of African-American descent on a children's program. To this point, 1968-69, there had not been a recurring black character on a children's show. So these kids are watching and have not seen a fair representation of people that look like them. But in walks Officer Clements, and he says, Hey, Mr. Rogers, how are you doing? They exchange some pleasantries, and he says, Hey, that looks pretty nice. And Mr. Rogers said, Won't you join me? And so he says, Sure. So he takes his shoes off, takes his socks off, and there is two pair, two pair of feet, one black, one white, inches apart. And Mr. Rogers, if you watch a YouTube clip or see this, he just looks directly at the screen for just a moment in silence and quiet. And then Officer Clemens says, well, I don't have a towel. And you see that blue towel on Mr. Rogers' shoulder. He says, well, you share mine. As if to say, of course, I'm right here. And there in 1969, when people were still struggling to swim together out in that neighborhood of the U.S. of A., in this neighborhood, there are two men in quietness and meekness bearing witness to a kingdom that values the unseen or the unheard and the unrecognized. And they didn't use tanks, he used a towel. And I wonder where he might have gotten this. This humility in heart. To get down and release himself from his privilege as a celebrity, as a white male, to release himself and devoid himself of this privilege. Where in the world would you get an idea like this? Well, one of the ancient Christian hymns begins this way. Paul records it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have this same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here comes the hymn. Here comes the song. Here comes one of the earliest songs in our Christian faith. And this is what they're singing about. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
And the hymn goes on, continuing to follow Christ's downward trajectory in order that he would get so low and so obedient that he was obedient to the point of death on a cross in order that God the Father might raise him up and give him the name above every name. So we see this arch in which the gentle and meek and lowly one got so low so that he might do what we just sang about and bear us up on his shoulders and let his grace hold us and release us from the chains. And he used a towel, not a tank. He became a servant, not a soldier. I think Mr. Rogers got this idea because when Jesus was having his last dinner party with his closest friends, it wasn't at Dave and Buster's. He wasn't making a big show of it because he knew what was to come. And so you can imagine when they come in the door of that upper room, they're used to expecting a little boy or the lowest servant in the house to greet them at the door, give them some water for their hands, and then they'd sit down and they'd get their stanky feet washed. Because if you have ever been at a camp or Mount Lebanon, Pastor Kathy talking about being in East Texas, I took some flip-flops to a camp that we went to recently, and I can't even wear them now because they didn't have the paved roads that we're used to here in the city. And I found after the very first day, I had to take a whole shower to get my whole body in that bed because my feet were so filthy. So here, they're walking through the same streets that the donkeys and the cattle are walking in and trudging through and doing what they do. If you've been behind them on a parade, you know what I'm talking about. They're walking with their sandals, and in they walk for their last meal with Jesus, and they're looking around the room, and they are seeing no servant or slave. So you can imagine Matthew saying, well, this is awkward, dude. And he's like eyeing Peter's gnarly hobbit feet and saying, no way, dude, am I about to do this? Peter is like already trying to busy himself over here, just like, you know, straightening up, checking out the place. Then you've got Thomas over here saying, this is nice. I like what they've done with the walls here. It's really kind. And so you just see all of this awkward jockeying for position. We can imagine that because this is what the disciples are doing all the time. When Jesus is talking about a king and a kingdom, they say, hey, when you come in your kingdom, like, can I be your right-hand man? And he says, see, this is the whole thing. The world and the Gentiles are all about lifting up their presidents and their dictators and putting them up top so they can lord it over and put their big fancy castles and palaces. And he says, it's not so with you. He says, whoever will be greatest in my kingdom will be a servant of all. So while they're forgetting this teaching and wandering around the upper room, Jesus quietly takes off his outer robe, wraps a towel around his waist, and does as their teacher, as their Lord, as their king, as the healer, as the famous and respected and wise sage, kneels down half naked to do the lowest of the low and to be intimately acquainted with their dirt, their filth, to do 
what they refuse themselves to do to show us a kingdom vision of what it looks like to live in a different reality and a different realm that just might quietly critique and transform a world that says, I'm better, you're not. I'm richer, you're poorer. I'm white, you're black. I'm legal, you're illegal. I'm straight, you're gay. I'm cisgendered, you're transgendered. And I am right and you are wrong. And Jesus upends the whole thing, turning the whole world on an axis of mercy and servant love to even wash the feet of the one who will betray him and lead to his murder. What would it do to view an officer Clemens or a Peter and a Thomas and a Judas through the eyes of one who got down so low in order that others might be lifted up? How would it transform the world to actually name the people that are humble in heart, that are gentle, even though the world laughs at them, to actually name them as someone that smells like, looks like the kingdom of God that is breaking in to a violent, dog-eat-dog world? We need a kingdom vision of meekness. We need to see Jesus in quiet resilience taking a towel instead of a tank as a suffering one who trusts God even when they were hurling insults at him and misunderstanding him. We also need a kingdom vision of inheritance. How can these, the least, the lowest, inherit all of this? Simply it just means the difference between receiving and taking. The kingdom value is to trust God both in his gift and in his timing. There's a psalm that sounds just like what we just read. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Y'all write down Psalm 37. It's long, it's crazy, because it's basically the meek griping at a world where the wicked are winning. But if you follow along just closely enough, you see, what do we do when the wicked are winning? And the psalmist writes, don't fret, trust, delight in the Lord, commit to the Lord, trust, be still, wait, don't fret, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, don't fret, hope. Those are in the first nine verses. To inherit the land, is to wait until all the dust is settled to trust the Father's gift in the Father's timing. And here's how you know you're within kingdom reach. When you face an obstacle, when you face the impossibilities, when you're faced with the not yets and the closed doors, here's the temptation I need you to lean in and why we need a kingdom vision. When you just know that you know that you know that this job is for you, when you just know that you know that you know that this house, this place, this relationship, this thing, this whatever it is that you're longing for is for you, and you run up against the wall, 
The temptation is to sing what Simon and Garfunkel sang, O Lord, why have you forsaken me? Forgetting the first three lines that speak of the one who ran up against the cross but found resurrection and life on the other side. Just because there's obstacles and there's not yets in your prayers and closed doors and you're asking yourself, am I really actually blessed? Remember the one who kept trusting, kept waiting, even when the world was throwing everything they had at him. A kingdom vision of inheritance is not being like Simon the Zealot who hears the beatitude, who had been fighting and killing and rebelling violently. He hears this beatitude and it causes him to reevaluate his whole view of the kingdom. You see, when he heard, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he was thinking, okay, the earth, that's cool, take it or leave it. How about this land right now that was promised in Genesis 12? How about this land, Israel, that God swore an oath to my great, 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 great grandfather Abraham? It says, I will bless you. I will make you a nation that will bless the whole nations. How about us as a nation being oppressed and ruled over by an enemy nation, Rome? How about this still disputed land of Israel that we don't know if it belongs to Palestine, we don't know if it belongs to Israel, and we just wonder, how about this land right now? It's about trusting. It's about receiving. Because nobody in their right mind goes and forces to take an inheritance because then you're left with blood on your hands. It's about trusting a father. And remembering that even when you're longing, you're thinking the wicked are winning, can you trust, can you wait for the dust to settle, for God to renew all things, to God to see beyond the impossibilities and to remember that you are squarely within his reach, you're securely in God's kingdom. You see, a kingdom vision of meekness reveals that it's the ones who get down to lift up others who are actually the ones that are blessed and flourishing, even though their bank accounts and their job descriptions may not reflect it. It's the ones who've quietly, in churches that maybe you grew up in, who have opened the doors and greeted, like my friend Harry Gentry, who is there every time the church doors are open because he's the one that's opening them. It's like the Sunday school teacher that faithfully year in, year in, year in, and year out has walked with, sat with the littlest of the littles to show them the way of Jesus, even though she'll never get a huge bonus or a huge medal or a huge documentary. It's these who are tapped in to the gentle Savior who got down to lift others up. And when you start to live in that, you're freed not to climb the ladder. You're freed to have a kingdom vision that reveals it's this quiet, trusting, resilient strength that might actually transform the world. And you might actually find yourself on the winning side. So remember, these are descriptive, not prescriptive. So what would it look like when you encounter the unimportant, the too young, the too old, the too quiet? How would it transform your week if you saw with kingdom vision the meek and the forgotten and the lowest of the low? You know, a philosopher once said that attention is the rarest and purest form of love. 
What would it look like to put your phone down to be fully engaged and attentive to that person that can't do anything for you? That won't boost you up in your ego, your status, your standing, your confidence. Would you begin to see a little bit of Jesus? Would you begin to see a little bit of the kingdom breaking into this dog-eat-dog, status-obsessed world? Would you begin to see the upside-down vision that Jesus showed us? How would you see the meek? I want to close with a return to our story and a quote. 25 years after our friend, Mr. Rogers, soaked his feet in a kiddie pool with Officer Clemens, he goes back out to that kiddie pool. He's got it filled with cool water. And this is from the episode 25 years after he was showing the world a meek and gentle way of integrating and walking with and relinquishing your, pris- your privilege. 25 years after that, in an episode called Mr. Rogers Talks About Love. Officer Clemens walks back up. And he says, similarly, like he did 25 years before, what you doing? Because it looks weird to see Mr. Rogers with a tie and bare feet. He says, I'm soaking my feet. He goes, that looks nice. Does it feel good? Does it feel nice? He goes, it sure does. And so he sits down next to Mr. Rogers. And the thing you need to understand about Officer Clemens is this dude can sing. So he says, one of the ways I love to show people I love them is by singing a song. And this dude sings a wonderful, beautiful, Mr. Rogers feeling jazzy song about there are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to show you that I care. And 25 years on, they're sitting in a similar pool in a similar situation. But if you watch the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, it's pregnant with this undertone of talking about love, singing about love, showing love, because Francois was gay. And Francois was closeted for much of the run of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Because to be out at that time on a children's show with PBS would kind of be disastrous for him personally and for the show publicly. And so here's this ordained Presbyterian minister that could have held a traditional and orthodox view of human sexuality that says, I said orthodox, it's not an orthodoxy issue. I'll say traditional. He held a 2,000-year traditional view of human sexuality. Who knows what he thought? He could have thought this. But I think he was meek enough to sit down, to have this man sing to him, there are many ways to say, I love you. There are many ways to show I care. And I wonder, and so does Francois, if this, 25 years later, was Mr. Rogers' way of getting down and showing this man he loved him. There's no talk in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood about agreeing with him, about fellowship with him, about uh, just saying his lifestyle is okay and affirming this. He's just putting his feet in a pool. And then, if you watch the documentary, 
Francois reflecting on this moment, singing this song, talking about all the different ways to say, I love you. After this show, he always ends his program saying, I like you just the way you are, and I love you just the way you are. Now again, try not to read into the whole political and cultural moment about homosexuality and all this. Please hear me. One thing that is orthodox is loving all people, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And for this man, who had been conflicted and had been worried and wondering, all of a sudden, he says, hey, Mr. Rogers, when you said, I love you, were you talking to me? He says with tears in his eyes, he remembers Mr. Rogers looking at him and saying, Francois, I've been telling you this for two years. This is just the first time you heard me. Regardless of your politics, regardless of how we understand the scriptures, understanding the scriptures is loving people where they are. Precisely who they are. Reminding them that they're within God's reach. That they're within God's realm of transforming powerful love. And it's to those who are gentle, who are weak, who are using towels instead of tanks, that are close to the heart of the one who himself was lowly and meek. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this, as, this way as we close. To these, the powerless and the disenfranchised, the very earth belongs. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who here have utterly renounced it, who were meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the new earth. The renewal of the earth begins at Golgotha. That's where Jesus was crucified, where the meek one died. And from thence it will spread. When the kingdom finally comes, they shall possess the earth. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross so that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. We who are filled with anger and hatred and violence and greed and pride, we who lust after what is not ours, we who are immoral and enslaved to our own devices and desires, find in you a reach that loosens us from the chains of slavery, sin, evil, and oppression. And we find... A Savior who, though he was lowly and meek, was all-powerful. A Savior who stands before us, beside us, around us, as he invites us to come unto him, that we might find rest. That we might throw off the burden of trying to earn and trying to get a leg up. And we might keep company with the one who transforms us within and without. We just pray that we would see the world the way you see it. That we would remember that we are blessed. We are within your reach, right where we stand. And would we see others that the world has forgotten and left out as those who will inherit the earth. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, the crucified King. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Go in his peace.